Uh, please open up to Exodus chapter 20. If you're using the church Bible, that's found on page 72. As I mentioned last week, the fourth and fifth commandments of the Ten Commandments are the only two positive commandments. Uh, all the rest are thou shall not, but these two commandments tell us to do something positive. And indeed, they paint a positive picture of the good life. Rest amongst flourishing families joined together in worship. The fifth commandment that we're looking at this morning is the last to include any extra explanation. And it's also the last to refer to the Lord. And so in some ways, this command fits with the first five. Five, sorry. Uh, but the command tells us to honor our father and mother. And so it focuses on our duty towards others. So the fifth commandment is kind of like a bridge between the two tables of the law, between our duties towards God and our duties towards others. This command to honor our father and mother brings up a variety of feelings. Uh, for some, it's fairly easy to honor our parents. We had warm and loving parents and still have good relationships with them. For others, perhaps sadness. Your parents are now gone, and so reflecting on this brings up pain. For others, this topic comes with lots of pain for a variety of reasons. Parents were absent or perhaps present and yet behaved in a way that it would have been better if they were absent. And so realizing that we come to this command from a variety of different places, let's listen now to God's word. We'll read all of Exodus 21 through 17, the full Ten Commandments, and then reflect on this together. Hear now the reading of God's word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, yet showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's word. Thank you, God. 
you think about it for a minute, it's a bit strange that one of the Ten Commandments concerns the duties of children towards their parents. Our culture is so youth-focused that if you go down to Barnes & Noble, they'll have whole bookshelves of books on how to parent well. And yet, childing well isn't even a verb. Behaving well as a child, you'd be hard-pressed to find a book on how to be a child or a seminar or a Sunday school class on how to be a good child. Of course, parents do have duties to their children. They should care for them and be responsible towards them. Uh, but that's really a topic for another sermon. God, in these ten fundamental principles, tells us how children ought to live in regards to their parents. To keep this command well, we need to know what it is telling us to do, why we ought to do it, and how we do it. What are we supposed to do? Treat your parents as weighty. Why? Because honoring your parents, uh, we honor parents to thrive and reflect God. And how do we do it? Obey, thank, forgive, listen, and serve. First, what does this commandment tell us to do? It tells us to treat your parents as weighty. Treat your parents as weighty. It's easy to hear this command and just assume it means children obey your parents. And certainly that is an implication. But notice the command does not begin by saying children. Rather, it's addressed to everyone. And it doesn't say obey, but rather honor. What does it mean to honor? Well, the Hebrew word honor literally means to treat as weighty or significant. We say things sometimes like, that was a heavy conversation, or that was a heavy moment. And when we say that sort of thing, what we mean is that it's a significant or momentous or important conversation or moment. We're saying it has weight. Uh, the Latin word gravitas, it's the same idea. Uh, it, it, it has weight to it. It has gravity. Likewise, we are called to honor our father and mother by treating them as weighty, significant, important. We recognize that our parents really matter to our lives. Even if you had absent or abusive parents, nevertheless, they are one of the most significant factors on shaping you to be the person who you are. Martin Luther, in his large catechism, unpacks what it means to honor. He writes, You are to esteem and prize your parents as the most precious treasure on earth. In your words, you are to behave respectfully towards them and not address them discourteously, critically, or censoriously, but submit to them and hold your tongue even if they go too far. You are to honor them by your actions, serving them, helping them, caring for them when they are old, sick, feeble and poor. All this you should do not only cheerfully, but with humility and reverence, as in God's sight. Here's a summary of what it means to treat your parents as weighty. Well, to whom is this honor due? The command tells us, honor your father and mother. Uh, there's a few implications there that we should unpack for a minute. First, notice that this command is not enshrining 
so-called patriarchy, but rather makes no distinction between the honor due to a father and mother. They are equally weighty in the home. They share an equal position in the family worthy of honor. Certainly it does say parents are in charge of children. There is hierarchy in the family. There is authority. Uh, but it doesn't enshrine anything that could really be called patriarchy. Furthermore, notice that the father and mother are singular. We know from the Old Testament stories that a number of the Old Testament saints had multiple wives. And yet the ideal held out for us here in the Old Testament, or in the Ten Commandments, is a basic family unit of one father, one mother, and children. Uh, the ideal family, as it were, includes both male and female parents. Men and women have different perspectives and different approaches to parenting, and it's good for children, in principle, to have both. Of course, there's a variety of circumstances where that doesn't work out, but here's the ideal. But notice this command then also links up every nuclear family of parents and children with the generations before. Because every set of parents that ought to be honored also has parents to whom they owe honor. As I already mentioned, this command is not for children only. The parent-child relationship changes over time, and yet there is this consistent charge to honor your parents across that changing relationship. In the first phase of life, honoring primarily means obeying. God calls children to obey their parents. Then in adolescence, the teen years, parents shift from commanding their children to influencing their children. That's a bumpy transition, and it causes stress for parents and teens alike. But the goal of parenting in the early years and through the teen years is ultimately to work yourself out of a job. Okay. If your 27-year-old has to be told how to clean his room in the same way he did when he was seven, something has gone wrong. Your goal is that your children eventually leave your house as fully functioning adults who contribute to society. Yet, even through this period of transition, while parents are paying for their children, the parents are the ultimate authority. This is a little bit controversial, but I don't think it's unrealistic for parents you know, if your kids move home after college and you're paying for them, that's probably going to happen if you have kids at home. Uh, housing prices keep going up. Parents, just warning you now, it's probably going to happen. I don't think in that context it's unrealistic to expect your children to attend church with you or to contribute around the house. Uh, if you're writing the checks, you're still ultimately the authority there. But then, after adolescence, ideally there's a long, parents, uh, long period when parents and children enjoy friendship that's adult to adult. And yet, even there, it's still a relationship that's marked by the child honoring the parent, even though it's a friendship. Then, as our parents age, the roles begin to reverse. Adult children help their parents first by influencing them. Uh, you know, Maybe we shouldn't take this Nigerian prince's money at this time, mom and dad, that kind of gentle. But then it gets to a point where it's almost an exact reversal of needing to help your parents physically, uh, in some cases even changing their diapers, helping them eat, all those sorts of things. And yet across this changing relationship, from being the, the, the child who has to obey, to the teen who's being influenced, to the adult friend, to caring for your parents at the end of life, 
across that changing relationship, there's a consistent charge. Honor your father and mother. Treat them as weighty. Well, that's the ideal, but are there exceptions? Maybe your parents failed to provide and care for you when you were young. Maybe your relationship with your parents is strained or broken. Honoring your parents doesn't mean you pretend like there are or were no problems in your home. Rather, it means to treat them as weighty or significant. As Luther says, we honor our parents by recognizing they are significant figures in our life who have shaped us for better or worse, and we still strive to be respectful and courteous even in the context of broken relationships with parents. And in the most extreme circumstances, sometimes treating your parents as weighty, recognizing their significance means setting up boundaries, saying, you know, mom and dad, I love you, but we can't have you in our home acting in that way or those kinds of things. So there are times when honoring your parents actually means setting up boundaries. Uh, Six-year-olds in the audience, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about <laughs> adult, adult, adult parents, okay? Um, honoring your father and mother means treating your parents as weighty. Okay, that's what we are told to do. Why then should we honor our father and mother? We honor our parents to thrive and to reflect God. We honor our parents to thrive and reflect God. This command comes with a motive. A promise. We're told, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Of course, that reference to the promised land means that this promise in the first instance is for Israel at a specific point in history. But in Ephesians, Paul quotes this passage and then sort of glosses the promise in a way that applies it to a church of mixed Jews and Gentiles outside of Israel. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Okay, this promise isn't a bribe like, obey your parents and I'll give you a piece of candy. Obey your parents and I'll give you long life. A sort of disconnected bribe. But rather, it's saying this is when a society and a community thrives and flourishes. A community thrives and flourishes where parents are honored. In general, those kinds of communities will be healthier. Uh, in general, life will flourish. It's not saying, you know, if you honor your parents, somehow you're never going to get in a car wreck or cancer or something that might cut your life short. Those kinds of tragedies do happen. But it's saying this is the kind of community where parents are honored that life flourishes. Even from a sheerly secular perspective, the Oxford economist Paul Collier notes that the social sciences have now demonstrated rigorously and causally that children do better if they are reared from birth to adulthood by two parents to whom they are genetically related. Okay, there are all kinds of circumstances where that doesn't happen for a variety of reasons, and yet in general, the best case scenario is children to be raised by their parents. And he goes on to unpack that, that part of what happens uh, studies have, have tracked this over time, that even century to century, success is passed down from generation to generation. And that's not primarily in the form of wealth, but in terms of family culture. The norms and expectations that make for good life get passed down from uh, parents to children, generation over generation.
This idea, though, that of honoring parents pushes back against some of our idols. Uh, every week, I'm, I'm telling you that these commands name different idols. It pushes back against the idols of autonomy and youthfulness. The modern ideal person is free, unattached, sovereign, choosing individual who apparently is in their 20s. Uh, I was noticing um, the Friends guy passed away this week, and I was reading, I've never really watched the show, um, actually I've never watched the show, but I was reading that it was supposedly about five friends, six friends in their 20s in New York, and then I looked up the actor's age, and they're all in their 30s, but pretending to be in their 20s, because that's the ideal. Youthful, autonomous, you got extra cash, somehow they all rent these apartments in Manhattan, and it's never a problem to pay bills, all those kinds of things. That's our ideal. And yet this command of honoring our parents doesn't look to the youth to steer society, but it looks to the elders and elderly. This command reminds us that we are fundamentally dependent creatures who need authority to flourish. The previous Sabbath command took us back to creation, to root this rhythm of life where we rest on the seventh day and keep it holy. This command points to how creation continues through procreation. On the sixth day after God finished creating, he blessed humanity. He said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And so parents are a reminder of the gracious, unmerited gift of life. As one theologian puts it, nothing is quite as ontologically revealing as our belly button. That is to say, our belly buttons tell us something very fundamental about our nature. Namely, that we are not self-created or self-creating. We only exist because we grew for 40-odd weeks within our mothers, literally attached to her, being sustained by her, nurtured by her body. We only survive infancy and adolescence because we are nurtured by others. We are neither self-created nor self-creating, but are always dependent on others, especially our family. And that points us to an even deeper reality, that we exist, our very existence at every moment depends on the Creator. Honoring parents recognizes we need authority to thrive. That's unpopular, at least since the mid-60s. Ours is an era of deep skepticism towards authority and in part because authority has been abused by politicians, priests, and patriarchs alike. Okay? It has been misused in a variety of realms. And yet the solution isn't anarchy, everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. We need healthy authority for society to flourish. Parents, your children need you to exercise healthy, godly authority for their good, not for your selfish ends. Okay? Kids are not free labor. You're trying to get them to be independent adults, but they need you to exercise authority for that end. Human life flourishes and thrives not as isolated individuals, but in the webs of dependence, communities of mutual obligation, of which family is the foremost. So in the biblical view, the family is the basic building block of society, more fundamental than the state. Family is not fundamentally a private institution as opposed to public things like schools and governments. Families are public institutions, fundamental to uh, the thriving society. But this sort of thriving family and community that the fifth commandment envisions reflects God's own character. That's the second reason why we honor our parents, to not only to thrive, but to reflect God. 
This commandment brings us into the very mystery of God's inner triune life. God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. The Father is always giving himself, generating the Son. The Son is always loving and honoring the Father, which is expressed in and through the Holy Spirit. And so through human families, God intends that the world will be filled with little pictures of himself. Self-giving parents bonded together by covenant vows generating children, children honoring their parents. Imperfectly, in our finite, broken families, we honor our parents to reflect God. At the Incarnation, when God's Son entered the world as a human baby and grew up and then lived an adult life, he showed us what it looks like to perfectly reflect God's character in a human life. We have all, every single one of us, broken God's law by dishonoring our parents in a multitude of ways, big and small. But Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, honored his human parents, even to the point that as he hung on the cross, he made sure Mary would be cared for after his death. His mother would be cared for by John. But even more fundamentally, Jesus honored his heavenly Father at every moment of his life through perfect obedience, always treating God the Father as weighty and significant in every single situation. Jesus obeyed his Father and so fulfilled the mission given to him, even though it cost him his own life. He was perfectly obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, honoring his Father by giving himself to make a way for us, you and I, to be adopted into God's family, to address God as our Father. Jesus told his disciples, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And by fulfilling this specific commandment, by honoring his Father perfectly, Jesus fulfilled the law so that we lawbreakers who have dishonored our parents can still have the promise. So that you and I can have life forever with God the Father. We honor our parents by treating them as weighty. We honor our parents both so that our society can thrive and so that we can reflect something fundamental about God's character. But then as we wrap up, we need to get into the nitty-gritty. How do we honor our parents in different stages of life? This last point has five elements. Obey, thank, forgive, listen, and serve. Obey, thank, forgive, listen, and serve. I know five's a lot of things, but I want to point out concrete ways that we honor our parents at different stages in life. First, when we are young, we are called to obey our parents. When Paul quotes this command in Ephesians 6, he writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, this is how you honor your parents, by obeying them. There is a fuzzy line about when you stop being a child and become an adult, uh, but in general, if you're dependent and single, if your parents are paying your way in life, you should honor your parents by obeying them. When Paul applies this command to uh, uh, children, he says, obey in the Lord, and that gives children both a motive and a limit to obeying their parents. The motive 
for obeying your parents is not that your parents are the most perfect parents on the planet or that they always do everything right, but rather we obey in the Lord. We obey because God commanded us to. This is how we bring God glory, by keeping his command and obeying our parents, even though they are broken and sinful. But obeying in the Lord also puts a limit on obedience. To obey in the Lord means we should not obey if our parents or guardians tell us to do something contrary to God's own commands. Okay, there are limits. Second, thank. As we grow out of adolescence, our relationship to our parents changes. We're not required to obey them any longer, but we must still honor them. And one way that we honor our parents is by thanking them. Okay, despite all the ways that all your parents' shortcomings, the ways they failed you, try to identify concrete things you can thank them for and then thank them. Maybe your dad was emotionally distant but made sure you had a good education. Thank him for that. Maybe your parents weren't able to provide a very high standard of living and much of your childhood was in poverty, but they were warm and loving. Thank them for that. We honor our parents by appreciating them. Third, forgive. Honoring our parents means treating them as weighty. And that means acknowledging that their failures have had an impact on your life and then dealing with that in the right way, which is honoring your parents by forgiving. Okay, every single one of us had finite, sinful humans for parents. For some of us, our parents sinned against us in very serious and severe ways, and forgiving them is going to be a long and drawn-out process. And yet it's something we're called to do to honor our parents. For others, we may not even realize that there's things we need to forgive our parents for, and yet reflecting on the impact they've had on us brings some of that up. Uh, Forgiving your parents, if your parents are alive, may actually mean speaking forgiveness to them. Uh, In other situations, that may be inappropriate. They may not even know that they've hurt you in that sort of way, and yet you still uh, should identify concrete things and speak it out loud, saying, I forgive my parents for this, and then prayerfully saying, God, help me to continue forgiving. If we don't forgive, the weightiness of the impact, the negative impact our parents have had on our life continues to govern us. So when you're young, obey. When you grow out of adolescence, appreciate, forgive. Uh, Everybody's parents, there's both things to appreciate and to forgive. Fourth, listen. Mark Twain quipped, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Okay, that's the kind of attitude I think a lot of us have towards our parents. Uh, They're ignorant, clueless, naive. They say things that are lame or politically incorrect, and you have to say, Mom and Dad, you can't can't talk like that anymore. It's not really appropriate. Uh, But we honor our parents by listening to them, taking them seriously as real human beings who have their own hopes and dreams, and fears, and aspirations, and who change over time, and by definition, always, always, always have more life experience than you. So listen to them. Uh, it's, it's easy to let Instagram, or TikTok, or talk radio, whatever your vice is, shape the way you think about the world. But God didn't give us a social media app. He gave us parents. And so even when we're adults, listen to your parents. Ask their advice. 
Take them more seriously than the anonymous people online who will give you advice. And then finally, in the last stage of our relationship with our parents, we need to serve them, to care for them, to provide for them. Okay, there are concrete acts that our parents require at the end of life. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul writes, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. What's Paul saying there? He's saying in the first instance, children and grandchildren practice godliness by honoring their parents and grandparents by concretely caring for them, by serving for them. Uh, this is part of the counterculture that the church is called to, caring for the weak, the elderly, the needy. Uh, government welfare, social safety nets, they're good things, but ultimately they find their origin in the Christian tradition. Rome didn't come up with this. Greece didn't come up with this. It's the Christian ethic of caring for widows, poor, orphan, and other marginalized that leads to the broad social welfare programs we have today. And although this foundational Christian ethic has greatly influenced Western civilization, uh, it's a good thing the government see an obligation to care for the needy, we can never simply hand that responsibility over to the government. Uh, in 1 Timothy 5 here, Paul is saying, in the first instance, children and grandchildren have an obligation to their parents and grandparents. Within that family unit is the first circle of caring, and then if that's unavailable, then other, you know, the church, government, other things outside of that. Uh, it's in part because it's good for us to care for our parents. It's good for our parents to have us care for them. Again, it, it's reminding us something, that even parents are needy creatures. We're all needy. We're all dependent. Honoring our parents means treating them as weighty, taking them seriously, respecting them with our words and our actions. We honor our parents both because it's fundamental to a thriving society and because it reflects God's own character. And we honor our parents by obeying, thanking, forgiving, listening, and serving. But we're only empowered to do that through Christ's work. It's as we are reconciled to God, we're adopted into his family, that we learn these kinds of family practices Jesus shows us what radical, faithful obedience and honoring looks like, and he makes a way for us to be embraced in God's own family. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, parent-child relationships are a good gift from you, and so we thank you for parents. Uh, we all have had parents, and it's good that we had parents or else we wouldn't be here. And yet sin has oftentimes complicated those relationships. And so this can be a thorny topic for us. Lord, we ask that we would take your command seriously, that we would strive to honor our parents in concrete ways. For the younger among us, uh, help us to obey faithfully in the Lord, that we might bring you honor and glory by obeying our parents. For those of us in the middle years, let us listen to our parents. Help us to be faithful in, in even just reaching out to our parents, talking to them. For those who have difficult things to forgive, help them to forgive as they themselves are forgiven through Christ's work. Lord, for some of us, we're kind of in the trenches of caring for elderly parents, and it's not easy. But help us to continue to 
do the work you have set before us to your glory and honor. Help us to love our parents. We thank you that however broken our families are, that through Christ we have been adopted into your own family, that we have been given the great privilege of calling you our father, calling Christ our brother. May we fundamentally honor you with our words and our actions and our lives. Amen.